This is Speaking of Faith's Unheard Cuts. I'm Krista Tippett. You're listening to my unedited conversation with Ethiopian linguist Getachew Haile of the Hill Museum and Manuscript Library at St. John's Abbey and University in Collegeville, Minnesota. I spoke with him on December 18, 2008, from the studios of American Public Media in St. Paul, Minnesota. He was at the recording studio on the campus of St. John's University. This interview is included in our program, Preserving Words and Worlds. Download the MP3 of that produced show at speakingoffaith.org. A revered priest, and your father was trained as a priest, is that right, in the Ethiopian, Ethiopian Orthodox tradition? That yes, correct? that's true. And this is a very ancient uh, tradition. I believe Christianity came to Ethiopia in the 4th century. And do, do you still worship in that in in this tradition? Are you able to do that in Minnesota? In Minnesota, mm-hmm. it's a little bit difficult because the, the communities uh, are in Minneapolis. Right. Um, but whenever I go to any city uh, where there are Ethiopian communities and big churches, mm-hmm. I always uh, take the opportunity to to attend that service. Right. I wonder how you would. I mean, I've been long been very intrigued by uh, Ethiopian Orthodox Christianity. I, I wonder how you would maybe just describe um, how it carries its ancient lineage and remains distinct um, even within. Eastern Christianity. I mean, I know, for example, that um, the Ethiopian Orthodox Christians observe many traditions of Judaism as part of their Christian observance. Is that right? Observe Sabbath. Yeah, they observe Sabbath. Mm -hmm. They uh, uh, observe, um, practice circumcision, Mm -hmm. Um, and they observe dietary habits of the Old Testament. All right. Uh, and it, these have issues have engaged scholars for a long time. How did this happen? Yeah. Is it because the missionaries who brought Christianity to Ethiopia were Jewish Christians? Right. Or were we, as some Ethiopian tradition says, practicing Judaism before Christianity was introduced into Ethiopia. Right. Um, so uh, the, there is a little bit of awe of both because Ethiopia is very close to to the Middle East mm-hmm. and the, the fact that there is a tradition, tradition uh, or culture going from one side to the other is not impossible. Yeah. Even the language itself, <coughs> excuse me, Excuse me. Oh, that's all right. <coughs> Even the language itself is similar to the languages uh, on the other side of the Red Sea, right. uh, unlike other African countries. Uh, so it's uh, a sister language of Hebrew and Arabic. Yeah. So <coughs> the, there is a, a strong relationship between the two sides of the Red Sea. It's fascinating, isn't it, to think that Ethiopian Christians might be most similar to the earliest, earliest Christians who, of course, were Jewish. <laughs> yes, you are right. Uh, it's the fact that we're cut off from the rest of the Christian world due to uh, uh, 
invasion of other languages, uh, other religion, mm -hmm. uh, that must have kept us cohesive together, just keeping the old right. uh, rather than being influenced. I mean, we have been influenced by missionaries coming from Europe, but the fact that we wanted to keep our identity has kept us aloof even from those who come to Ethiopia from the West. And I think that that also means um, that Ethiopia is this, potentially this treasure trove of very ancient um, traditions and manuscripts that reflect that. Yeah, that's true. We have, fortunately, monasteries that are far off from the world. Right. Um, where these manuscripts could could pre be preserved, could uh, live on, despite the fact that there were several invasions and conflicts and uh, uh, destruction of each other's culture and so on. But the churches and monasteries that are far off uh, uh, from the main uh, roads are able uh, to preserve these manuscripts. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like even, uh, well, um, when you were still living in Ethiopia, at the, at the earliest stages of the um, Hill Monastic Manuscript Library's work, uh, they, they found you, and you were already at that time <clears throat> um, engaged in uh, preserving these manuscripts. Is that right? I mean, how had you come to care about that, I wonder, in, in your own life? Um, I was trained, uh, first of all, in the church. So I, before I was exposed to Western scholarship, uh, so uh, from my father, from my grandfather, from my uncle, um, I was um, a part of the uh, uh, tradition and uh, when I went to further studies, I continued on the same line, even if it was in, in, in Europe. Uh, when I came back, I became uh, a teacher at Haile Selassie One University, which was the only university at that time, in this field, uh, literature, that is the literature of the manuscripts. Right. And uh, then... A certain scholar from Vanderbilt University, Professor Walter Harrelson, came to Ethiopia in search of Old Testament books, of old mm. ancient books. There he met the patriarch, and during the conversation between, between the two, the issue of preserving the manuscripts was raised. I see. And uh, uh, Professor Harrelson thought of HMML, and he came in contact with them. And the patriarch then, when this was going on, established a group of scholars in Ethiopia, which included me. I see. Uh, uh, to to be the, the other side of the uh, of HMML, you might say. Mm -hmm. And so we started working uh, at, at the committee from there, 
and uh, Dr. Julian Plant, who was the director at that time of HMML, and Professor Walter Harrison used to come to Ethiopia, and we discussed together as how to proceed. And that is where I I got involved uh, in the the material uh, and working with, uh, with HMML. Was that an exciting project for you? Um, when that began? Very much so, for several reasons. Number one, it is salvaging, saving a a culture that would be destroyed. Number two, when these manuscripts come together in one place, that is like visiting a museum and studying everything there. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to climb mountains, go down the valleys. And they are all in one place. So right. this is this is a, a great opportunity for scholars for the country. So the question of Qatar after the manuscripts were microfilmed, the question of micro uh, of cataloging them was raised in Ethiopia. Okay. So there were people who say we can catalog them here in Ethiopia. Then I said, who can do that? I mean, if you ask me to sit down and catalog this manuscript, I wouldn't do it. I would rather sit down and study them. Someone else should catalog Mm -hmm. them. I have no interest in cataloging. Let HMML do the cataloging if they can do it. Hmm. So that was how this this position was created for me, you might say. And I wonder... You know, this word manuscript, I did spend some time with Columbus Stewart just talking about, you know, what the definition is of a manuscript, because um, it's a word that gets used loosely in English. And my sense is, and also from some of the stories he told me, that Ethiopia is, is one of the last cultures where manuscripts in that sense of something that's been written down um, are really a part of ordinary, are used in ordinary life. And so I just wonder, you know, the word manuscript, does it even, does it suffice for you? Or what, what does that, you know, what are the connotations of a manuscript? You know, if you think about that from your even beginning in your childhood, how you came to think of that, the meaning and purpose of that. Well, we never use the word manuscript. We don't even have a counterpart of it in our language. Hmm. For us, it is a book. Right. We write a book, we compose a book, we copy a book, whether it is uh, bound, uh, only as long as it is bound, it, it is a book. And that is what we have daily. The printing came much, much later. Of course, manuscripts, uh, 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 as you well know, meaning uh, written by hand, mm-hmm. was handwritten. For us, it is written by hand, of course, the idea of printing uh, came only in the 20th century, and it hasn't influenced the larger society, especially the ecclesiastical society, yet. So, uh, so manuscript means book for us, and we grew up in it. We, we study, uh, uh, there are our textbooks, there are our prayer books, uh, there are our daily companions. And I suppose that's why when um, the Monastic Manuscript Library went to Ethiopia, they 
they came upon some of the oldest known copies, for example, of books of the of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament, and also some very old copies of the New of New Testament and apocryphal books. Yes, um, they are the oldest in the sense of Ethiopian in the, in the Ethiopian manuscript standard. Okay. Um, they are not the oldest, in, like in the sixth century or so, but you rather it's rather it's better to say rare manuscripts, okay. like for example the Book of Enoch or the Book of Jubilees. Mm-hmm. They are preserved only in the Ethiopian languages, although they were known. They were translated from either from the Greek or uh, from other language, basically from the Greek, uh, the, their original ha- has been lost. Have been, uh, right. So uh, we have now in the language, in that sense, you can say they have found uh, rare manuscripts. But old manuscripts, we haven't found yet manuscripts older than the 9th century. <laughs> Ninth century sounds pretty old to me. Uh, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. you've written about um, books, and I suppose we would call them manuscripts. Books of your fathers. I, I think you. I think many of them, if not all of them, were biblical books that your sisters sent you after his death. Um. Talk to me about what those mean, and I mean, just again, how that gets at a different sensibility you you might have about this than a printed book. Yeah, these books are not special books compared to other books which you buy in the market, but for me, they come from my grandfather to my father, and then to me. The, and my relationship with my father was was special. So uh, especially uh, the books also which he hand-copied, I imitated his handwriting so mm. that my handwriting is not much different than his. I see. <laughs> they, they are very similar because I love him and because I I see his thumbprints on the books mm. uh, I have with me these are they mean special to me mm. otherwise content wise they are not any different than the books one can get uh, from the market right but you know it was interesting when I spoke with Columbus Stewart um, he was talking about how the field of preservation of manuscripts has, Evolved and and these days, um, people are much more interested in that kind of personal imprint uh, that was left, even as historically relevant and as, as content in itself, uh, than scholars were just a few generations ago. That's true. The manuscripts may be the the contents of the manuscript may be known. Uh, there may be several copies of it. But just think what they do with the blank pages. Hmm. When they have a book, they have a treasure of knowledge, of historical sources of what they write, like today an earthquake took place at this place. Hmm. This, and today the, the 
son was red and maybe God is angry with us, what shall we do? Mm. And someone came to collect these little notes and wrote a book on earthquakes on East Africa, mm. only from these notes. Mm. So they are treasures mm. of, of historical knowledge. So they are, uh, even when they say uh, today, uh, uh, one of them, uh, uh, I saw uh, writing saying, uh, on this coming holiday, I have nothing to offer to my family. Sir, when I finish this manuscript copying for you, can you provide me a little bit so that I can provide for my family? Mm. So you can say how poor the copies were. They were not that rich. From here, you you can conclude... Uh, uh, from uh, their uh, their economic standard. And also, when someone comes and writes, such and such miracle took place in this church. And when you read that, someone, for example, uh, wrote a story about the manuscript that was stolen from his from his library, oh. and when he describes that, you know, how the parchments are made, where the ink came from, and who the artist was, you just say, "What is he telling us?" It's mm. an amazing story. Mm. We didn't know that they were doing the same thing that time. As today, right. and also were curious the ink they imported, the, the the color they imported. He writes about it also, so that is a wealth of information that you find on the margins of the manuscripts. Hmm. Tell me something about um, the scope. Of, and the nature of the work you've done these years uh, as since you've been with the Hill Monastic Manuscript Library in Minnesota. I mean, do you know how many manuscripts you've worked on and what, what precisely is the nature of your work? Well, um, every morning when I come to my office... I open a, a raffle ticket, you will say, when I open a manuscript <laughs> on a microfilm. I say, what is in this? Hmm. I come with such great curiosity and anticipation. What am I going to see in here? I open a microfilm. I see sometimes a copy of a book a kind of a manuscript, a text that I have cataloged yesterday. So I get frustrated. (laughs) The next time I open another uh, microfilm, I get something on the marginal, but nothing on the main subject. Uh, This I call a uh, consolation (laughs) information. (laughs) But then sometimes you find something which even people who 
microfilm them there in Ethiopia didn't know what it is. And you get excited and you start cataloging in detail and uh, uh, inform the world. Informing the world means here is something you should do. These are the word of scholarship that I mean those interested in Ethiopian study, in Ethiopian church study, in Ethiopian history study. This is we present them in the catalog. I have to describe the material in detail. So I always consider myself like a waiter who is hungry and serving tasty food. Smells <laughs> The food smells nicely. Yeah. So I said, when am I going to sit down and enjoy myself? How am I going to study this? Mm. Or shall I only tell the world that there is something and then I, uh, I don't... I don't get served. Mm. So what I used to do then was catalog during the day, some make some copies for myself, go home, never contacted with my family, (laughs) and started (laughs) studying with them, editing, translating, publishing. Mm. And that and that is how I used to to work on these materials, cataloging number one, and mm. then also myself editing and also writing articles uh, mm. uh, based on the information we have here. Um, it is an exciting work, and now that I am retired. I have more time to do what I have been wishing to do. To do the enjoying. And, <laughs> and also uh, enjoying my family, my mm-hmm. children, my grandchildren. Mm. I wonder if you would just tell me in more detail about a manuscript or two that have been really important for you. It might be just something that you've worked on most recently that's most vivid in your mind or something that of all these years you know you would still say was so memorable and important and really you know talk to me about what you've discovered and what it looked like and what you found there um there are some uh but one particular work i remember is that i uh there was an emperor in ethiopia who reigned from third 1434 to 1468. He was a scholar and as well as a a, a king. So he had a big, a large uh, scriptorium apparently mm. and produced a lot of material. And most of them have been known and most of them have been published only one material, only one work by this king wa- was not found. Mm. It was in the list in his, ta- in his history, in the list of books he has produced. His chronicler, his historian has listed them. Right. Uh, about one of them, they say, we only know about the title. We haven't seen it. We don't know what it looks like. And this has been going on until until 1980, I would say. And then all of a sudden, one manuscript showed up, and people didn't know what it was. I studied it. I mm. studied it. And then in the, toward the end of it, I found it, 
the colophon, which is the, gives the information, says this is the book that has its name. Uh. So it was exciting. I immediately uh, announced the word. Right. And uh, uh, when I was uh, had uh, an opportunity to spend less time cataloging, that was when I got a, a, a grant. Uh, so I, I studied it. I edited it and uh, published it. And what what kind of what kind of manuscript was it? What was it about? And what did it look like? What was it mm, written on? It was uh, number one. It was a fight against superstitious practices. Ah. And visiting magicians, visiting sorcerers, visiting soothsayers, hmm. the king says, "We are a Christian world uh, uh, people. If we adhere to Christianity, this should stop." Hmm. And what he, what transpired is apparently there were a group of people who consulted magicians on how to overthrow him. <laughs> okay. Right. So that he, he said, well, the best thing will be to destroy this. It has dual purpose. I will, nobody will threaten me. And mm-hmm. secondly, uh, I bring the Christian people to the worship of God. That was uh, the reason. But then, interestingly, he gives the names of people who were involved in the, in the revolt or in the overthrow. He gives the details of the kind of magic they use, the different kinds of uh, um, sorcerers and sorcerers, about which we didn't know they existed. Uh. So that was uh, fascinating, and hmm. the names of the people, and also wha- which part of the country they were ruling. They and these are uh, governors and ministers. You would say. Uh, Hmm. So that is rich information. Was that in the language in Gez? The all most of them are on language in Gez. Mm-hmm. The the, uh, the 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 modern language or the vernacular which we use today, Amharic, mm-hmm. um, are, is used only uh, after the nineteenth or, or late eighteenth nineteenth century, really. Hmm. Until then, it was only the writing was mostly in Gez. I'm curious. You um, have a familiarity with a number of languages, um, including Gez, but also Greek, Latin, Amharic, and Arabic and Hebrew. And um, in our time, in modern times, and I suppose at different many points in history, we, we've associated these languages with competing religious worldviews. And I wonder, as you hold all of these languages together in your mind, you know, have you learned things about them that make you think differently about these worldviews they help articulate, um, or how different they really are, the relationships between them? Um, my knowledge of Greek and Latin is very limited. Okay. I use them only with the help of a dictionary. I uh, I will not fail to understand if someone quotes a text, 
I will I will struggle and uh, and go through it to understand what these quotations are. Otherwise, okay. I'm more familiar with Ge'ez and Amharic mm-hmm. and Arabic and German. These are the languages I I I would uh, comfortably say I know. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, well, um, I, I live. I, I I have a problem on living which century I live. When I read those manuscripts and um, I, I'm taken away there, um, I, I sometimes when I read those manuscripts, I'm totally taken with them, with the monks in the ancient libraries, in the ancient monasteries. And then when someone passes by me in the office and speaks English, I say, what? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what yeah. language is this monastery? Do, are these people speak? Do these people speak Arab, uh, mm-hmm. English? Mm-hmm. But then I realize I am in an English-speaking world. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, they 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 influence uh, my mind, my my thinking. I sometimes have problem in understanding modern Ethiopians' uh, uh, way of thinking when. Uh, so uh, there is this problem. You're steeped course. in yeah. these ancient, yeah. ancient ways of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And what about your children? How many children do you have? Six, is that right? Yes, uh, I have six children. And I know many four, of them. Sorry. Yes. Four of them uh, are from my wife, and the two are adopted children. Okay. And yeah. and they they were all educated in the West. Is that right? After you came here? Yes, the oldest one was uh, nine years old or so, okay. and uh, totally uh, Americanized. Yeah, is that yeah. is that Rebecca? That your daughter Rebecca? Yes, Rebecca. Right. So is, she, yeah, uh, and she's written a book. She went to Harvard, I believe, or did her law degree at Harvard, and yes. has written a memoir. And you know what? I just wanted to ask you is, um, so your children have have grown up in this culture and 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 this time. And with the, with the, this American way of thinking about what a book is, and with not this familiarity with manuscript, I just wonder: did they appreciate, or or is it easy for them to appreciate what you appreciate in the manuscripts, the documents that you spend your life tending? How do they think about that? Uh, uh, number one. Um, uh, they know uh, they appreciate what I'm doing, and uh, whatever I write, whenever I write in English, whatever I write in English, uh, they they read most of them. I, I show them copies mm-hmm. sometimes before even before they are published, so they know what I'm doing here. But they are more with American culture, American literature, English literature. They are more mm-hmm. deeply steeped in that and uh, their English is is enviable. Because, <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. as you say, I mean, as you're describing it to me, it, you really are steeped in a whole different world when you're working in this with these manuscripts, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. 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 Different time, a different tongue, and a different culture. Yeah. Yeah. But what's um, what helped me a great deal is uh, now for my work is the computer. Right. Before the computer was, uh, I used even to write the 
the text by hand mm. and translate it into English and then send it to the publishers, they they reproduce the handwriting itself uh, instead of um, of uh, uh, typesetting. Right. But now I don't have to write to write it with my hand. I just type it in the, the Giz language. I type it in on the computer and reproduce it uh, easily. Hmm. So that's a good thing about technology and, and printing. <laughs> yeah, very much. Yeah. <laughs> Especially uh, when a mistake is made, it's very easy to correct. Right. And, and, uh, the, the whitewash and so on are not there anymore. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you would just talk in your own words about, um, I mean, you know from your personal history that political events can threaten and economic realities threaten uh, the preservation of this kind of manuscript. Um, And I just, I wonder if you could say something about how you would explain to someone, you know, what is threatened and what is lost when these kinds of of documents and writings um, are lost or go missing? Um, Poverty is an enemy of the human being. When someone is in need, that person can probably do anything to survive. And this is what is happening with the manuscripts in Ethiopia. They have understood that people, the poor people, have understood that manuscripts can be sold, and uh, you, you, they can get money. I mean, by, gift by shops selling. and yes, markets, and yes. right. Mm-hmm. So they they go to the monasteries, they go to churches at the wrong time, and smuggle, get them out of the church, steal them, and and sell them, uh, and and. If these books are so lost, they are lost forever. The other day, um, someone showed me a copy, a microfilm copy of a book that was a prayer book of one of the Ethiopian emperors, one of the famous emperors who ruled Ethiopia in the in the 19th century. It was his own Bible. It was mm. his own Psalter. And it is here somewhere in America. Well, at least I wish it was given to a museum. Mm. And sometimes when these books, when the dealers get these books, you know what some of them do? They cut them into pieces and sell them re- in retail prices, so, you know, a page. Right, right. You know, here is a page, here is another page. And then people also understood that visitors or Europeans and Western world are interested in Ethiopian art. Right. So a book with a picture in it, an art in it, a painting in it, they knew it is valuable. So what they do is they get an old manuscript, erase some of these pages, and put pictures 
of the resurrection, of mm. crucifixion, of Madonna and child. They put that in it. Uh, but these are not old pictures. Hmm. The text, the text, then under the picture is lost. So if you have five, six pictures, paintings in that book, all of these are on a lost page, or text page, uh, on a page whose text hmm. has been erased. Right. And this is this is a great damage. So. Uh, Suppose that book which I told you uh, a few minutes ago that uh, I found about the emperor uh, who reigned in the 15th century, if that only text had been lost, then we know, we find we know nothing about it. We mm. a, a history is lost. See, history of Ethiopian Christianity as part of the history of the Christian world. Right. So they have to be integrated and preserved as such. The fact that we, the Ethiopians, have uh, preserved their unique identity is is, an, is, is important for mm. the Christian church. It's not only for Ethiopia, but for the universal church. Right. And you may never be able to go back to Ethiopia, is that right? Um, uh, first of all, I, I, uh, I, I wouldn't like to go uh, as long as the country is n- not democratized. Mm-hmm. If it is democratized, I will be very happy to go. Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, due to my condition, uh, I think I, I could live a little bit longer if I'm benefiting from uh, the facilities of American right. <laughs> medical uh, establishment, mm-hmm. uh, I need constant, uh, uh, I visit constantly, uh, regularly the doctors. I have this problem, I have that problem, and they, they solve it uh, easily. Yeah. Uh, in Ethiopia, an infection could, could take me out uh, uh, in a day or two, and those are complications from when you were shot, right? When you yes, when you were yes. driven out of your home. Yes, I mean, um, uh, life on a wheelchair is not long usually, mm. and there are so many complications you you don't talk about, but mm. uh, only the doctors uh, know about it. Uh, so. But if it is if the country is democratized, I would very like much like to go and uh, at least spend a few, uh, some time, uh, a month or two, and uh, and pro- and come back. And in your mind, um, is the work you do now in preserving these pieces of history? And this knowledge of history, it, you know, how how does this matter for the present and the the future of Ethiopia? Oh, so we have to look at it as a, a Ethiopia as a country, uh, rather than uh, a, the Ethiopian government. Mm-hmm. The the any ad leader, any national leader, would be. 
totally devoted to the preservation of its history, of the country's history. But when governments change, they always try to discredit the previous government mm -hmm. and start uh, afresh. Uh, so this is what always uh, in a non-democratic country hap happens. Uh, but for us, for people who are interested in the interest of the country, an ancient country, how can we say a country is ancient unless we prove it is ancient? Mm. And how do we prove that it is ancient? It's only by showing people the ancient culture, the ancient history, the ancient ruins, the ancient uh, manuscripts, mm -hmm. the ancient monasteries. These are, for us, you call them, we call them ancient, but at the same time, they are present. We live in them. Right. We, live, we live in the 5th, in the 6th century. We live in the 7th century. We live in the 10th century. We live in the 20th century. For us, the time is the same. Mm. But if that part is gone, if the ancient part is gone, then we are only people in the 20th century, like uh, like countries established by the colonial powers. Right, right, right. You're impoverished then. Yes. Um, I think this is wonderful. I um, I want to. Uh, I think there's some questions from my producers behind the glass, so I'm going to be quiet for a moment, and then I'll and then I'll come back to you with a couple more questions. Thank you so much. Just a minute. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. All right. So, um, just curious, something like the Book of Enoch, if if there is this um this this very uh old uh manuscript of not only of a of a more of an older manuscript but something that's been translated into Gez, um you know, is is that is that is the priority that manuscripts have taken in Ethiopian culture and in the Ethiopian church across the years? Does that is has that also contributed? Do you think to um, the distinct nature of Ethiopian Christian practice and tradition? Indeed, the uh, the Book of Enoch is part of the Ethiopian uh, Bible. And as such, in, uh, it is uh, understood as any of the other books. And uh, um, the calculation, the, uh, the apocalyptic writings in it uh, definitely make the uh, 
thinking uh, shaped the thinking of the of the clergy of course the average man doesn't know what what books we have and right. and what books we don't have but this is within the ecclesiastical circle mm-hmm. they uh its impact is uh, definitely like any other book, like uh, any other Old Testament books. So there's a theological um, uh, ripple effect that makes itself known in ways that you probably can't even trace, but that is there. Yes, I mean mm-hmm. the uh, about the prophecy of the coming of uh, of Christ, the Son of Man, uh, is uh, is clearly. Uh, 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 written in, in the book of Enoch. Mm-hmm. So uh, the religious people who justify the coming of Christ uh, use it very much uh, as evidence. Uh, even this scholar, uh, King, about whom I uh, I mentioned to you earlier, mm-hmm. uh, he wanted to put it part of, uh, of the Old Testament and there was a strong resentment within Ethiopia. Uh, by the way, uh, from his writing, uh, we could see they didn't want the Book of Enoch to be part of the Bible, huh. uh, the scholars. And uh, he defended it very vigorously. And hmm. uh, the reason why it's not part of the Bible, because uh, we have a book called uh, Synodicon, a book of uh, listing the list of books the Ethiopian church, the Orthodox church should have. And this Enoch is not in that list. Right, right. And this scholar said, the world is not recognizing it. There is a book of Enoch ascribed to Enoch, but it is not written by Enoch. Mm. But the king defended it very vigorously. So um, Mm. there is, uh, is, you can see that... uh, it was a controversial book in Ethiopia as well. Right. And then uh, Columbus Stewart tells a story of, of being in Ethiopia in 2005, just a couple of years ago, uh, and happening upon uh, three boys sitting on the ground, reading aloud from a large Skez manuscript, and it's, he says their, man, their monastic teacher sat under a nearby tree, following along from another manuscript, correcting them as they read. And for him, this was fascinating and, and again, uh, an example of, of the art and the, and, the, and the use of manuscripts having a different trajectory in Ethiopia. Um, does that kind of story hearten you? Do, do you are you aware of, of that tradition staying alive even against the odds in Ethiopia? The traditional uh, education, the educational system in Ethiopia is exactly the way uh, Columba, Father Columba observed. Mm-hmm. As is, you can see that uh, everywhere in the monasteries, he, he saw it in one place, but if he had gone several places, he would see the same thing. Okay. Of course, modern education uh, uh, is impacting uh, very much because uh, you need... Uh, a doctor, you need an engineer, you need a, right. a you need a, a scientist. So these people are, if trained, they will be only uh, their service will be used only in church. For this reason, 
the modern education may slowly uh, take over, and uh, even the theological college they opened now in Ethiopia is contributing to that, uh, to the elimination or to abandonment of the old system. So this is going to be, uh, in the long run, to be naturally lost. It's uh, it's not only in Ethiopia this practice, by the way, it's the entire Middle Eastern world also was the same. So it's the same culture, except that with us it is also today. But it, it will be very soon disappearing. Not very soon, but slowly it will be disappearing. Which I suppose um, just speaks to the urgency of the work that Himmel is doing and that you've been engaged in. Yes. You'll be amazed with some of the manuscripts uh, some people uh, in America uh, send me to say, can you tell me what this book is? Hmm. So I open and look at it. I say, well, this is the book we cut, we microfilmed in such and such year in Mm. Ethiopia. Mm. So this means it has disappeared since we microfilmed it. I see. So several, several of the manuscripts we have microfilmed, many of them Mm. have, have disappeared and have shown up here. We can see our traces because we... We paginate them before we microfilm them. I see. We, we put pages on them. Yeah. So they show up here with the pages we, we made for them in Ethiopia mm. for, for HMML. So uh, mm. it's, it's the urgency is no doubt. Uh, w- when some of these manuscripts arrive in a museum, let's say uh, they are w- very well preserved, I wouldn't feel very bad about it because then I can easily have access to these manuscripts here. Uh, They are not lost. They are very well preserved here. But when they become torn apart, you know, page by page and sold to people. Right, kind of a tourist, uh, something tourists bring home. Yes, Mm -hmm. that that is uh, painful. Mm. Is there anything else um, that I haven't asked you or that we haven't talked about? Wait, I've got one more question back here. Um, just want to ask... Um, ask you to just give a picture of um, how the manuscript would be part of, say, a worship service or, um, yeah, of a worship service or just a a daily part of daily life. Uh, First of all, there is the the mass, mass service. Mm Mm-hmm which is uh, uh, quite different than here. It is long. Uh, so the mass, it's the book of mass, the, the missile is on parchment. Uh, it's put on the uh, altar by, um, by the tabot, and they sing from it. 
And then comes a biblical reading, which is also on manuscript. Right. They, they use it. And also there are other kinds of prayers. They call them prayers of incense. That is, uh, or the prayer of the horologium, book of the hours. These are all on manuscripts. Some of them are studied by heart. Some of them have to be read uh, in the, uh, from the manuscripts. So I was once in a monastery to see what manuscripts they have. They took me to their bookstore, and the books were there out of their cases. You know, each manuscript usually is put in a bookcase. Right. They make a case for them. But they are, most of them are outside and put on their cases rather than being put in a case. So I say, why don't you put them in the cases? They say, well, we come by night to look for them when we will do night services in church. Hmm. So opening and looking which one is which, <laughs> it, it takes a long time and mm-hmm. there, is no, it's, there is no light. They use candles. Right. So they put them outside. They take them to church, read them, and, uh, uh, and bring them back after the service. <laughs> so it, it, it's used like any uh, in the church, any song books, any, any Bible reading for using uh, uh, in the services. Okay. All right. I mean, so is, is there anything else, is there anything I haven't asked you or something that seems especially important that you'd want to add to what you've said? Um. Not in particular. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I think this has just been great, and um, uh, I'm so glad we finally were able to connect. And um, we will let you know when we pull this show together and send you a copy and all of that. Um, and it, it'll be after. It will be in January. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much. Thank I hope you. to meet you one of these days when I'm up there. Oh. Well, your colleague said he was here at HMML once, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be back. You'll be back, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank I'm you. So thank you. Again. That, I'm so glad that this uh, uh, library or HMML was established. It's I know. more. It's more for Ethiopia than for any other countries, yeah. because the Western world is not. Unless some catastrophe comes, I mean, they have preserved their material. But in our case, the only way of preserving the manuscript is microfilming because you cannot establish, go and build build, uh, libraries there. uh, And uh, you you should see the wear and tear. You should see the... Uh, what the termites do, what mm. the, the rodents do to the manuscripts. Mm. So this is just uh, it's a rescue mission, I would I would say, mm. especially for Ethiopia, where there are uh, compared to other countries. Okay. Well, thank you yeah. so much again, and thank I'm, you very yeah. much. All right. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.